0: Dear fellow redeemed, we consider especially our gospel reading from the gospel of Matthew. And as we begin, we're actually going to start with that portion from the the small catechism, which, as you might know, if you follow our our calendar, we just kind of work our way through the small catechism uh, week by week, and um, with the hope that we, we talk about it on Sunday and you can read those portions of the catechism to review that that doctrine, that teaching for yourself. And by the way, we have more catechisms to give away if you don't have one. The page numbers are on the calendar. But that question, thy kingdom come, what does this mean? What does this mean? Thy kingdom come, what does this mean? And we see it portrayed for us ever so clearly in the gospel lesson. And we are confronted with it every day. And it's something that we even try to try to talk about um, during our, our Bible class. It's something that we consider as we think about how we can best carry out the Lord's work here in this area. Thy kingdom come. What does this mean? Obviously, we have the the explanation. The kingdom of God does come indeed without our prayer by itself, but we pray in this petition that it may come to us also. Thank you, Martin Luther. But even before that, what is the kingdom of God? That's that expression that Jesus used time and again throughout his ministry. The kingdom of God has come near to you. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. The kingdom of God, talking about the ruling activity of Jesus within a person's heart. And so when we talk about the kingdom of God, we're not talking about a visible kingdom. And we can't even quantify it and measure it according to um, some sort of external metric. As John kind of talks about, those might provide a little bit of a reflection of the kingdom of God. That we can see the kingdom of God perhaps reflected as, um, as people's lives come in line with the word of God. We can perhaps see that kingdom of God reflected in numbers such as attendance and offerings. But it doesn't give us a direct image of the kingdom of God. That the kingdom of God is the ruling activity of Christ within the hearts of his people. And that the kingdom of God is seen at least in its most visible here at church. But even that, even that gives us the barest glimpse of what is this kingdom of God this ruling activity in the hearts of people. After all, all I can do is go by what you say you believe, and the same with you, that you presume Pastor Hagen believes this, and I do, on the basis of the fact that I have made that confession to you, and I stand up here and I talk to you about this kingdom of God, and you can compare what I say with what the word of God says. You have the clear and certain revealed word of God, that is the guideline. So that question, what is the kingdom of God? Well, it's the, the ruling activity of Christ within the hearts of people. That even though you and I live as citizens of this city, or maybe another one very close nearby, that you and I live as citizens of this, of this um, state and of this country, that even though there are different levels of government who have a greater or lesser degree of authority over our lives, there is one King who is above them all. There is one King whose word alone guides and guards your Christian action. And it is out of obedience to that one King, Jesus, that we gladly and willingly obey the other authorities that He has placed over our lives. That the kingdom of God has come to you, and that this kingdom of God has been an unstoppable force ever since God started it. Ever since ever since God brought Adam and Eve back to repentance there at the tree, that this kingdom of God is only found, is only found when Christians, when believers, gather around that word of God, that the kingdom of God is found where the word of God has changed the heart, where the Holy Spirit has worked through his chosen tools. And that question, where and what is the kingdom of God, It's simple enough to answer properly, but if we were to miss it, that creates all sorts of problems. Nearly every modern heresy and false teaching is traced to a misunderstanding of this kingdom of God. That some would say, well, the kingdom of God is only seen, is only seen when you have enough life change, when you kick the habit, when you, you know, change your life. Whatever, whatever expression that may take. Or some would say that the kingdom of God is seen um, only, and the only way that we can see this kingdom of God is if we have more people in church. And so pastors and others would bend over backwards, coming up with new ideas to attract people to sit inside of a church building, with the result that they downplayed the Christ that the church was supposed to be about. That the kingdom of God in this world, forever and for always, will labor under a cross. And that does not make sense to our minds. That the kingdom of God labors under a cross is something that Jesus talks about. And it is something that Paul mentions, like in 1 Corinthians 1, that we will talk about today in our family Bible hour. But the fact that this kingdom of God labors under a cross and it always looks like it was, is on the verge of disaster that it cannot be measured, cannot be quantified, and that this kingdom of God only is created and extended through that preaching of the word of God. That confines us to exactly what Jesus is talking about today and why this talking about Jesus as the light of the world is absolutely essential. Because the kingdom of God does not come On the basis of our prayers that we can't we can't be the ones to accept we can't be the ones to invite we can't be the ones to to measure it but this kingdom of God this kingdom of God comes to you through that word of Jesus this kingdom of God is bound up in the gospel message the truth that you have been set free the truth that Jesus raised himself from the dead to guarantee your forgiveness The truth that in your baptism, you were given this new life of faith. And so we pray that this kingdom of God may come to us and to many others. And that's what Jesus does. Verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach. Repent. Because the kingdom of heaven is near. It's the exact same thing. That he is the light who shines in the darkness. And that he is the one who preaches and points to himself as the one who who builds this kingdom, as the one who is really the essence of this kingdom, and that he invites people, and he calls them to be members of his body, to proclaim his truth, to be gathered together in faith in his word. And so where is this kingdom of God? If it's something that we can't really see visibly, If it's something that we can't really measure, although there is a little bit of a reflection, John tells us not where it is, but he tells us where it isn't. And I think this is the main point that we need to see today. Where John says um, in in that first letter, verse 4, The one who says, I know him, but does not keep his commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. And the big idea here is that this Jesus and the historical fact of his crucifixion and his resurrection are unchanging historical facts. And those historical facts apply with a spiritual power to your life and mine. That the word of God explains to us that this man on the cross outside of Jerusalem isn't a a criminal like the others that he is not suffering for his own crimes like the others, but that this man on the cross has concealed his glory and he is the son of God. And that this man on the cross chooses as king to lay down his life for his people. And that this man on the cross, that this man on the cross would be buried and raise himself from the dead exactly as he said. And those are the historical facts of our faith. And, even an atheist historian might concede that those things happened. At the very least, that a Jesus of Nazareth was crucified and that the early church believed that he was raised from the dead. The fact of the resurrection, then, is the linchpin to this entire discussion about the kingdom of God. That in the resurrection, your sin was washed away, In the resurrection, your baptism was given its power. And in the resurrection, Jesus continued his victory march through the world. A victory march that began with his descent into hell. After he became alive, again, his descent into hell. And then revealing himself to his disciples. And then saying, go and preach this this good news to all nations. That the very message that he preached is the same message that he entrusted to his believers. Repent. The kingdom of God is... Is near and that simple truth is something that our that we don't want to believe I mean we do but our sinful flesh hates it to say that the kingdom of God only comes through contact with the Word of God to say that the kingdom of God is a matter of uh, light shining in the darkness that the kingdom of God isn't a matter of of shades of gray and who really knows. But the kingdom of God is a measure of, of certainty. And it's a matter of certainty. And our sinful flesh hates that. For example, we have our loved ones. And we want them to come to church with us. And maybe we've made the invitation. But we tell ourselves, well, you know, they were instructed at one time. We have our loved ones, and we think to ourselves, but, but they're a good person. They, they, they live as, uh, as people who don't break the law. They pay their taxes on time. In some ways, you know, from external appearances, they live a more uh, God-pleasing life than I might. That he or she is a good citizen. And it's not really my responsibility. Like, you, you do you, I'm going to do my faith, and, um, and we just won't talk about it. Our sinful flesh loves the idea that the kingdom of God comes by our action, that the kingdom of God is visible by simply living a good life, or that the kingdom of God isn't a matter of light and dark, life and death. Our sinful nature says, well, it'll be another day. Maybe in, you know, five or ten years after they get through college and they move back home. It'll be another day, you know, maybe once, once they're through this phase. And um, it'll be another day. Maybe when they have kids. Or maybe when life slows down after the kids move out. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is near, Jesus says. And when he says that, he says, With all of the earnest concern, care, and love in the world, that today is the day. That it is a matter of life and death, of light and dark, without any middle ground. And as much as our sinful flesh wants to dilute it and say, it's not my problem, it's not my responsibility, and I can't really speak into that. Or the flip side. Our sinful flesh wants to say, but they were instructed, I did my best, and, uh, and they said they still believe in Jesus. You know how that goes, right? Right? The first year, I still believe in Jesus. Pastor, don't worry about me. The second year, I still have my Bible. I still read my Bible. I still believe in God. The third year, stop talking to me about it. The time, the time frame may be a little squishy. It might not be three years. It might be a space of three months. But if the kingdom of God only comes through the word of God then the kingdom of God is only sustained in a person's heart through that same word of God. If the ruling activity of Christ actually began there at the font, through the God-given means of grace, then that kingdom of God must be sustained through the same God-given means of grace. Because, because this is a good memory hook, I think, for today. Uh, the memory hook, that the way a person thinks you came to faith is the way that they think they remain in that faith. And biblically speaking, we know that that it's a matter of being spiritually dead. And that God himself raised us from spiritual death through that powerful word of God, through that powerful sacrament where he has attached his promise. And if somebody thinks that they came to faith, Well, and and that means, that means, of course, that if we want to remain in this faith, that is to say, if we are to be sustained in the ruling activity and the reign of Christ within our hearts and lives, then we need that connection with that same word of God. The same sacraments that he used to bring us to faith, the same word of God that he uses to keep us in faith. And so, I mean, test that out again. Um, the way that a person thinks they came to faith is the way that they think they remain in the faith. That if somebody thinks, if somebody thinks that they came to faith by their own personal decision, then they think they return to the faith or remain in the faith by deciding more, by having a greater, stronger, more vivid commitment. And if you know anybody who is um, who is a Christian but not Lutheran or Catholic, then Test it out with them, and you'll see. You'll see where their certainty lies. That the way you think you came to faith is the way that you think you remain in the faith. But John, in John's letter, flips that around. That we know how we were brought to the faith. But if we live in a way and promote promote a way that is not in line with the word of God. The way in which we live is the real confession of faith on how we believe we came to faith. John's pretty clear. He says, um, if the one who says, I know him, but does not keep his commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. And the way that we might see this exercise or play out in even among Lutherans is working backward. Well, pastor, don't worry about me. I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. Um, Pastor, I'll take care of it next week, next month, next year. And what does that say about our faith? That the purposeful ignoring of the word of God is a confession of faith. And even if somebody makes the confession by word that I believe in Jesus... But they say, by what they do, I don't have to be there. And this doesn't matter to me. Then pay attention to their actions. Because that is just as clear a confession of faith as their word. And John says it's even more clear. The confession of walk, I believe in God. 1 John 2 verse 4. The confession of walk, but don't tell me how to live. The confession of faith. The confession of word. I believe in what I learned in catechism class. The confession of walk. But not right now. Not today. It's, uh, it's too much. Lord have mercy. Thy kingdom come. What does this mean? We see that yes it means that um, that it only comes as uncomfortable as that makes us. It ought to give us hope. Because we don't have to be scrambling around wondering, what do I say? What do I do? And how will God sustain his church over the next 20, 30, 40, 400 years? Because we've got the one thing that matters. We've got this Jesus with his God-given gospel in word and sacrament. You've got the encouragement of fellow believers to to encourage one another on and spur one another on that, you know, maybe today is the day or this week is the week to invite that friend. We've got the the clear word of the law, which, um, as comfortable or uncomfortable as it makes us, reminds us that how does thy kingdom come? It does not come by our careful observation. It doesn't come by our action. But it comes by this Jesus who still wants to preach who still wants to preach the exact same thing um, through his church, through you and through me, as he preached there in Matthew chapter 4. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is near. And what does that look like? It might look as simple as, um, hey, get your butt out of bed. We're leaving for church in 40 minutes. It might look as as simple as, I've invited you before, but... I'd really love to see you, and I can pick you up for church. It might look as simple as um, examining one's own heart and saying, how can I make my confession of talk line up with my confession of walk? Because if this Jesus is true in what he says, that he is the only light, and if he says that he has attached his promise to this word, then that means all sorts of hope for you and for me. That the one who raised himself from the dead has guaranteed to incorporate you as a member of his body. That the one who raised himself from the dead has guaranteed that your baptism is infused with the power of his resurrection. That the one who raised himself from the dead has guaranteed that you, dear Christian, hold a treasure that nothing in this world can touch. That even if you were to lose everything, that this Jesus has made you a part of his kingdom. That even if the the city, the state, the, the country, or World War III breaks out, any of those things starts to break down and dissolve around us. You have a king who surpasses them all. You have a king who is worth confessing, both in what we say, the kingdom of heaven is near, and in what we do. The confession of talk, confession of walk. Because this king has raised himself from the dead. Amen.